The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. God will reign forever. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the majesty of heaven. We bless his holy name. Today we're going to take another look at this question of our place. To do that, we're going to look again at the parable of the two lost sons 
two prodigal sons. I want to just read the whole parable for you. And then we'll talk about it. Lord, send your Holy Spirit as we consider again this vital question of where is our place? Lord, let our place be found in you and only in you. Open our eyes and our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. (coughs) After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of his servants and he asked him, What's going on? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes came home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is a study in where is your place? The younger son thinks he doesn't have a place with the father, and so he goes off to create his own place. And many of you have gone off to create your own place. Oh, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not satisfied with Jesus. You want 
your own place. But always a severe famine will come. And a severe famine is coming to America. We spoke of this yesterday. He goes out to feed the pigs. He wants to eat the pig food. After sufficient time and his diet has not improved, he's tired of the pig food. And he says, I might as well go home. The food there is much, much better. He comes to his senses and he said, look, I better go home. My father's servants are treated much better than I'm being treated. So he comes to his senses and he goes back home. He goes back to his place. And of course, this whole story is the story of the human race that left their place in the Garden of Eden, who left their place with the God of heaven, who hid in the bushes from the God of heaven, who finally came out and stood before the Father, dressed in their fig leaves, and having no place. And one of the greatest struggles of our hearts is to find our place. With my late wife, I used to say to her, during a time of exceedingly difficult, difficult financial times and emotional times, we moved 42 times in the first 10 years of our marriage. Where was our place? Well, I identified my place as being the bed where I slept with my wife, and I would say to her, as long as we're together, I can face anything. But then she died after 21 years of marriage, and I was alone. And now where is my place? The bed was lonely and cold. And that's when the Lord began to reveal to me that my place was with him. That I would have no place on this earth. My place was heaven. My place was with Jesus. My place was not in the pulpit. My place was not in my bed. My place was not in my house or my career. My place was with Jesus alone. Then this elder brother, he's angry. He comes near, it says he came near the house. It doesn't say he came near his place or his home. He did not consider the father's house his home. He was there simply as a servant, a slave, working. He called one of the servants and said, what's going on? He didn't call his father. He called a servant. He is one of the servants. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back home. Oh, now wait a minute. It doesn't say he's killed the fatted calf because he has him in the house. No, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The father has him back. Not the farm, not the house. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. His father comes out. He pleads with him, son. Come in, greet your brother. Look, all these years I've slaved for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
do you see the elder brother does not identify his home as his place. He identifies his friends as his place. It's with his friends he wants to celebrate and be glad. And dad, you never even gave me a goat, let alone a lamb. You never even gave me a goat where I could go and celebrate. This son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes. He's come home. You kill the fatted calf for him. He's right. The younger brother came home. But the older brother is not at home. He's at the house. He has not yet recognized that his place is with the father. And so he comes at the father with accusations of injustice. And the father says, wait a minute. Everything everything I have belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. In other words, if you wanted a young goat, You could celebrate with that young goat. You could hold a feast. But the elder brother doesn't recognize home as his place. And he he wants just a goat. Don't bother with a lamb. Just give me a goat. Well, the goat was his. It belonged to him. He could have it if he wanted it. But he doesn't feel like he's at home. One of the great problems we face today is where is our place? I listened to one very fine man speak about this. And he said, your place is where you sleep. Your place is where you lay down. You may not have a house. You may be living in your car and your car is your place. Or you may be living in in a tent in the woods, and that tent is your place. Or you may be under a bridge somewhere, and that's where you sleep, and that's your place. Well, I understand what he's saying, but he's wrong. You see, we're on a journey. And if I stop overnight at a fine hotel, Jonathan Edwards speaks about this. If I stop at a fine hotel and the accommodations are wonderful, and I sleep soundly, and there's a wonderful restaurant, and I am fed the finest of food. Do I wake up the next morning and say, you know what, I think I'm just going to live here in this hotel? No, I'm on a journey. I have a destination. So this fine hotel is not my place of rest. This is not This is not my home. My home is my destination. Where is your home? Where is your home? Do you know where your home is? I'll tell you something. For some of your, for some of you, your home is your bed. For some of you, your home is your easy chair with your television. That's your place. That's where you feel most comfortable. That's where you eat. That's where you take naps. That's where you watch your favorite shows. It's where you have your beers. That's your place. If anybody sits in it, you kick them out. That's your place. For some of you, your place is your job. It's the place where you produce and feel comfortable and you feel like this is, this is fine. This is what I want. Well, I want to read for you a portion of a story. It's from a a wonderful old book entitled Remarkable Miracles by G.C. Bevington. I've worn my copy out 
Finally, the pages starts to drop out and Twyla, a precious listener and friend, sent me a, a new copy. This is a portion of a story. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I I want you to hear the, the tenor of this. I want you to to catch a picture. I'll begin reading on page 204. He has made arrangements to preach a series of meetings in a church, a Methodist church. He writes, The pastor had said that I ought not to preach holiness to sinners. But I said this doctrine of freedom from sin seems to please the sinner pretty well. He said they had 350 members and all were saved, of course. Well, I felt the four who had been over at my other meeting and gotten salvation were then sanctified were probably a pretty safe example of the whole 350. After the third sermon, the pastor drew me aside and gave me a surprise announcement. He said the ladies' aide had planned quite an extensive program for Christmas and they could not locate any place for their work except the church. He said they were quite sorry, as they would dearly love to have the meetings go on, but to please the ladies' aid, he had to close the meetings down. Now, I had papers signed by him that permitted me to remain in the church for this series of meetings, yet I would not use them to enforce the meetings, Being permitted to preach the fourth night, however, I announced the action of the pastor and of the aides. One man jumped up and he said, We'll go over to the schoolhouse. Well, the situation was put to a vote as to whether to go to the schoolhouse, and it was said that every hand went up except that of the pastor and his wife. Even his son and daughter raised their hands. So we went over to the schoolhouse the next night. The following day, the pastor hired five boys to cut up the seats so as to stop the meetings. He gave them two dollars apiece, and they went at it in good shape. The board immediately met and said, The boys are cutting up the seats badly. We do not want you to meet in our schoolhouse. So the people went and found another place for the meetings to go on. That night, As I went to my lodging place, I found the house darkened and my suitcase sitting out by the gate. I took that for a pretty good hint. I picked up my suitcases and started out like Abraham, not knowing where to go. I could have gone, I suppose, to any of the other four families that had invited, but I didn't know where they lived. God did not want me to go there anyway, as he had a better place for me. Now, I want to stop just a moment. Part of what God will give us are temporary places on this earth. But I want to be clear with you that those temporary places are just that. They are temporary places on the journey that we are on toward heaven. Before I continue, I want to share with you four principles that I've outlined for my life, the way I choose to live. Number one, I constantly work to get a sense of the complete foolishness of this world. I see this world as being utterly foolish and everything in it has a label that says to be burned. So I don't lust after things. I don't collect things. I I purchase things that I believe will be of value to me on the journey and will be helpful to other people on the journey. Number two, 
I constantly work to be acquainted with heaven by faith in Jesus, but I want to know about heaven. I think this started when I was just a boy sitting in my father's lap as he would open the big Bible and he'd say, Raymond, do you have something you want me to read for you? Yes, Daddy. Read Revelation 21 and 22. I want to hear about heaven, Daddy. I'm going to go to heaven. And Daddy would read for me about heaven. And then I would say, is there any place else in the Bible that talks about heaven? And he would turn to passage after passage. I have as a very primary goal in my heart, my life, to be very well acquainted with heaven. And another principle that Pastor Ray lives by is that I seek heaven only by way of Jesus Christ. I don't seek heaven by any means other than my Lord Jesus. He is everything to me. And number four, I seek in every way possible to help another brother or sister on their journey toward heaven. That's my cry. I was reviewing again this morning Why am I doing this broadcast at great expense? I just wrote out a check to cover last month's radio bill, almost just within a few dollars of 4000 Why am I doing that? Well, I have a little post-it on my computer screen. It says, I'm on this broadcast for only one purpose, to secure the salvation of your soul. I believe that it's my privilege to help another brother or sister on the journey toward heaven. If you're not interested in heaven, I'm going to preach the gospel to you, and if you refuse, I will not work further with you or for you. I am here for those men and women who earnestly desire to secure your salvation and a journey toward that promised land. Well, Bevington has found that he has been shut out of the house where he is staying. It is heavy snow and and very, very cold. He says, He had a better place for me. By my staying where I ended up, he got far more glory than if I'd found any of the people's houses. I kept trudging on in the snow and was very cold. So cold that men had been cutting solid ice, 22 inches thick out of the pond. It didn't take long for me to tire and set the suitcases down and ask, Lord, where am I going? What is that to thee? Follow thou me, was all I got in answer. Right, I sighed. I picked up my suitcases and started on. I found myself in a sort of a lane where great furrows had been cut in the road from drawing corn out of the field. I could not see those deep ruts as they were filled with with snow, and I fell many times, cutting myself so that my face was bleeding in several places. My hands were so icy cold I could barely stand it. I said again, Oh God, where am I going? Again came the same answer. What is that to thee? And so on I trudged, until I saw what appeared to be a great mound in the road. 
As I was looking down to try to avoid those ruts, I forgot the mound, and I ran right into it. It proved to be a huge straw stack. And the voice said to me, This is the place. I said, All right. I threw off my coat and went to pulling straw, which helped me get nicely warmed up. I pulled straw until I was back in the stack about 12 feet, about three feet above the ground, so it would keep me warm. I packed the straw down. I took in my suitcases, and I and I put on my coat, and I dropped down on my back and lay with my head on one of my suitcases. Very pleased, I said, Well, praise God, I don't reckon Jesus ever had it much better than this, and probably most of the time not nearly so good. At that, the straw stack was lighted up, and I beheld the most beautiful sight I ever saw. It looked just like crystallized straws, nearly as large as my little finger, lying in all positions, crossing each other to form a beautiful network. I was frightened. I feared I'd gotten a match lighted while pulling the straw. My fears were soon banished. I threw up my hands, and there was nothing except cold straw. Beloved, I will never be able this side of heaven to explain or draw a worthy picture of that scene and the dazzling going on down in my soul. I've often thought it would have, it was a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. We're taught down here to view things according to certain laws. The appearance of those straws did not allow the working of natural law. As each was apart from the other, yet They did not appear to touch one another. I thought many times that herein is our trouble. We see things down here under the lights of natural law. God often breaks through the natural order of things, completely setting aside the natural. So we often fail to get the real import of his desires. That experience in that cold stack of straw has been a great help to me many times, enabling me to accept things that I would have formally rejected on philosophical grounds. While God does work through natural laws, I have found he has special lessons for us which often go beyond the natural laws. I've also learned that ruts are dangerous channels to travel. God wants us to be pliable so he can twist us and and toss us here and there. He wants us to be able to recognize his hand, though it appears to be cloaked in other garb or moving apart from those ways in which similar incidents have appeared. There's no doubt that God would give us wonderful revelations if he could just get us in the condition to receive that revelation. I'm assumed, I am assumed the deeper lessons God wants us to have are all in the line of the ridiculous. They're not on the public highway and cause casual travelers to never see them, for they're not on his route. Those lessons are learned on the unreasonable, out-of-the-ordinary route, generally routes similar to my getting into this straw stack. I learned invaluable lessons from that. When I told this to Reverend John Fleming, he burst out crying as he said, Brother Bevington, I would have given a hundred dollars to see that straw stack when it was so luminously lit up. Had I appealed to reason, as I came up against that stack with the thermometer registering below 20 degrees, everything would have stood against such proceedings. 
My natural thoughts would have produced this kind of argument. God has set forth his laws which require obedience relative to taking care of our bodies. I do not accept this straw stack as a place he wants me to be. He's called me to preach and said the labor is worthy of his hire. I am his child. Mr. Devil, I am not going to allow you to run me into such a place as this to bring on a tremendous cold or pneumonia, which will more than likely cause my premature death. Thus, I could quite logically have reasoned this all out, though had I done so, I would have lost one of the grandest lessons of my life. We need to get where we will be willing to ignore all laws of logic in order to get some of the private lessons the Lord has for us. Just those few words of acquiescence to his will when I said, I suppose Jesus never had a better bed than this, gave me one of the grandest visions I've ever beheld. Those few words spoke volumes which have enabled me to store up great quantities of knowledge of his will relative to me. Now I'll proceed with the other marvels of God that were going on at that same time. He will open up great and unheard of things if we will allow him to get us where those great and unheard of things are in operation or where he can consistently operate without giving others of his lambs a hard time. When this great manifestation of glory lasted only a short time, rapture of exceeding great joy continued to come in wave after wave. I lay there wrapped in great splendor until I struck a match and looked at my watch to see that it was already 4.30 a.m. I turned over and went to sleep. And when I woke up and struck a match, I found it was 5.30 p.m. I crawled out of the, shook off the chaff, used my handkerchief for a towel after washing well in the snow, and started back to the house that had been offered to continue the meetings. I found 25 people there with saws and horses. They'd been drawing logs and sawing them into blocks for seats. Both rooms were, were nearly seated. I said to the man of the house, Are there two rooms? Well, what do you want a room for? This this room will hold more than the schoolhouse. I persisted. Is there another room upstairs? Yes, sort of an unfinished attic. What do you want to go up there for? I want a place to pray. I spied a door in the ceiling and asked, Can I get up through there? Can I get up through there? Do you understand? He's on God's time. He's doing God's work. He got a ladder, and up I went. I got close to the large chimney lying across the joist, and I burst into great sobs. I just lay there and wept. I ignored the increasing noise downstairs, supposing they were finishing up seating. Finally, I struck a match and saw that it was 9.30 p.m. So I got up and went downstairs. I found over a hundred people waiting for me. I had no message. I only had a great burden that souls be brought under such conviction that they would see their real condition and fly to the Son of God for refuge. There was some unoccupied space where I landed from the attic, so I dropped down on my face again. In about 30 minutes, the preacher's son came to me, and he whispered, Aren't you going to preach? There are over a hundred people here waiting. I exhorted him and the rest to pray, but he said, There's no one here can do any good 
A prayer? You've spoiled all of us. The only prayer that any of us ought to pray is a prayer for repentance. Well, I thought he was about right. So I got up and I said, Brethren, this great battle must be fought out on our faces. I had no message to preach. You've had too much preaching. I have only a burden of prayer that each of you may be brought face to face with your real condition as God sees you. I beg you to fly for your lives to the Son of God who has made provision for your complete deliverance from sin. At that I crawled out the window nearest me and made a beeline for my straw house. I lay there on my face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. When I finally struck a match, I found that it was 5.30 in the morning. I quickly fell asleep until late that afternoon, and then I crawled out and took another wash in the snow. It was still freezing, and went back to the house where I found some 75 people. More than 20 were down praying as if they really meant business. Some of them on their faces sobbing, others kneeling and praying, others with heads up pleading and weeping, others walking where they could find room. All of that crowd pleading for mercy, mind you, were those saved people from the church, among them the son and daughter of the pastor. I raised the window and crawled back. I again climbed up the ladder into the attic. I got on my face across those joists next to the warm chimney. And after a while, the man of the house crawled up the ladder and he said, It's after eight o'clock. They all want you to come down and preach. Tell them to go on praying, I said. I'm afraid they will get tired of this and leave and not return, and then all of this work will be lost. Here was more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. At about 10 p.m., I went down and found about 40 in real soul agony. These included the pastor's son and daughter, both of whom had been testifying to being saved for several years. I could see God was working. I knew how foolish it would be to try to take the work out of his hands. I raised the window and slipped back out to my private quarters to plead with God for them. I got back on my face and struggled and agonized and wrestled and wept and held on expecting God to work wonders. I struck a match and found it was 6 a.m. I rolled over and slept again the whole day. I had another good wash in the snow, shook myself, and started for the meeting. I found about 200 people there, most of them in great misery. One man and his wife met me outside and began to tell me about the trouble they were having with their bad neighbors. I said, go inside, get down on your face and plead for mercy. Throw open your hearts to God. Get honest before him and let him examine you. And they did so. The final conclusion of this story is that more than 350 people were gloriously saved including the pastor and his wife. But that's another story for another time. Where is your place? If you read carefully Hebrews 3 and 4, you'll find that the children of Israel were never willing to enter into their place with God. They rebelled. They walked in unbelief. They did not believe there was a place for them in the Almighty God of Heaven. 
They just wanted a comfortable home flowing with milk and honey. They didn't want God. And because of that, God let them die in the wilderness. I don't want you to die in the wilderness. I can tell you right now without any doubt in my mind that a great famine is coming to America. America will burn. America will be judged for its wickedness. You cannot argue with me that America has been exceedingly wicked and has today torn down everything that is decent, everything that is pure, everything that is clean. Our government is a is an evil government. Our legislature is utterly corrupt. Our courts are utterly corrupt. They're bought and sold for a price. Hollywood and movies are utterly despicable and unclean. Even at the state level, we have become utterly corrupt and we have denied Jesus as the Lord. I'm deeply troubled by all of this. I know the most important question that I can ask you today, pardon me, is where is your place? And I want to tell you, my place is with the Father. My place is with the Father. My home is heaven. My home is not to be found here. I have to say in all honesty, I have no place here. I have temporary places. And I go to those temporary places that the Lord has given to me, including a house, a townhouse that I live in. But it's not my place. It's only a temporary abode. I own nothing in this world. It all belongs to Jesus. And it all has a label on it to be burned. I have nothing that I cling to in this world except Jesus Christ. My place is with him. My place is not in the television. My place is not in the sports. My place is not in the worldly entertainment. My place is in Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my place. My place is not even this ministry. This is but a temporary place. It's a part of the journey. It's been a long journey. I've been doing radio on Weva for now about 29 years. I'm not very popular in Washington. I don't have very many people that follow on the YouTube. The Lord didn't call me to be popular. He didn't call me to have a big following. He called me to speak the truth in love, to walk in mercy, long-suffering with sinners. I want you to find your place in Jesus. Read Romans 6 very carefully. Romans 6 will tell you pardon me, Romans 6 will tell you exactly what you need to do to find your place in Jesus Christ. I read Romans 6 several times every day. 
I read the book of First John often. And I read about heaven. Revelation 21 and 22. Where's my address? I can give you my mail address. It's Revelation 21. <clears throat> That's where my home is. But temporarily, you know what my address is. I give it to you every day. Lord Jesus, you are my place. You are my hiding place. You are my home. You are the rock. You are the Pesach over my head. The wing of God. I praise you and I worship you and I honor you today. I glorify your mighty name. I pray that not one listening to this broadcast today will think that their place is in their easy chair or in their job or in their marriage. I pray, Lord, that every person listening will know that their place is in you, Jesus Christ. And they will know beyond any doubt that they are on the journey in the school of the Holy Spirit. That you will give them a very real sense of the foolishness of this world. That you will cause every one of them to work to be acquainted with heaven, that glorious place that you are preparing for your children. Lord, please come quickly. Please come quickly. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'd love to hear from you. Our mailing address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. I also invite you to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday or any Sunday. We start at 10 o'clock officially, but usually we're already in prayer by 20 of or quarter of. You're welcome to come. You'll find the directions at our website, nationalprayerchapel.com. I love you, my brother, my sister. I want you to have a place with Jesus. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory will